Welcome to Women in Justice, and my name is Dr. Shantae James. Today, we have the privilege of talking to someone that works in mass communication and American studies. With the changing landscape, including politics and various mediums to disseminate knowledge, oh, I'm so excited to have her come on. So normally I would go through a long litany of information, but I just, I want to make sure I'm giving her the time. So let me quickly turn the podium over to our guest speaker as she formally introduces herself. Well, hi, I'm I'm Amy Matson lauders I'm a professor of communication and media at Minnesota State University, Mankato. And um, I, I, I was into journalism. I was a student journalist starting at age 11. And I think I got the very last print journalism degree from the University of Wisconsin-Eau Claire in 1994. And I've always had a passion for, you know, telling stories that that uh, that others don't. Uh, and one of the reasons I went back to grad school and became a professor was because as a journalist, I discovered it was a lot harder to uncover the stories I wanted to tell and to actually get uh, the, the people and backing to tell them than I really wanted it to be. So I wanted to figure out how that worked. And so um, I am a professor of communication and media. I'm a journalist, uh, but I really have a passion for helping people find their voices and telling their stories. And that's what my career is focused on. OK, so obviously everybody she's downplaying all her work, uh, <laughs> which is OK. It's OK. Um, <laughs> so I'm going to try to in the 30 minutes kind of shift her quickly in various lanes. Please don't email me. I'm going to kind of put that right out. I'm going to have her back. I'm going to beg to have her back. Um, but I'm going to jump her around because I want you to hear about all of her work. So let me first have her start talking about going from the print to where we are in journalism now in the context of where women stand in journalism. Oh I know that's God. a loaded question. I know, I know, I know. Loaded question. And, um, well, first, I'll say that there's been an effort by news leaders since 1978 to bring parity to newsrooms, to bring um, more women into the newsrooms, and they have not been as successful <laughs> as they wanted to be. We're still sitting at about 24 percent um, of our newsroom leaders and our, our newsroom workers being women, which is ridiculous considering, you know, we're more than half the population right. uh, at this point. And of those voices, the representation and coverage within the newsroom, there's, there's, it's still something like 6% of women's issues. And the thing that's always bugged me is that women's issues are discussed on specific pages in a newspaper called the women's pages that often include things like recipes and, you know, little gossip and little social news and how to do this and how to do that. And it's, um, I've always found that challenging. Uh, and when I worked, started work as a reporter, I wanted to do something about that. But of course, we're only one one person. And and I was fortunate enough in the newsroom that I started out in that there were uh, four women reporters. Wow, of that's actually of, a lot. It is <laughs> a staff of about eight. And my newspaper merged with another one across the river in the very first year that I was there. And our new editor was also a woman. So I was in a space where we could have addressed more women's issues and we did try to address more women's issues but even the phrase women's issues is problematic because they're people's issues it's not just 
uh, there, there's a lot of things that we cover that that shouldn't just be specifically this is for the women this is for the men it's their people's issues so this sort of lens of talking about women's issues as if they are other and lesser than 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 uh general issues of 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 news of the day and politics and how they're relevant that's that's always been a problem um still i had a great experience in my newsroom but it was also right at the very start of the digital revolution you know because 1995 is when boom the internet was legal you know and it was available and i was covering business and education issues and trends for a three county area in northern Wisconsin and the upper peninsula of Michigan and I was right on the 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 uh, the cutting edge of all of that stuff how is that going to be relevant to businesses how is that going to be relevant to education how is that going to be relevant in my own newsroom I had the publisher of my newspaper call me in a couple of times should should we get a website or how how do, what do we do with this I'm like I don't know your guess is as good as mine at this point in 1995 and 96 and 97. I got my crystal ball. It's kind of cloudy. But I think we do need, you know, at, at that time, I told them, I think we do need a presence. And we just need to see where this is going to go in terms of news coverage. And of course, now we know in the last uh, almost 30 years now, wow, we have seen a, an incredible rise in digital news. We've seen local newspapers struggling to keep up. We've seen broad mergers at the corporate level to try to consolidate coverage, national coverage, regional coverage, uh, because newspapers are losing money, um, because people can get their news from other sources. We're, we haven't seen the end of that yet. I don't know where this is going to end up eventually. Let me pause but, you there. Let me ask a couple of questions, um, kind of okay. layering it. Um, especially since you started us off with um, looking at women's issues versus other issues versus being more inclusive. I'm surprised that, especially within the digital age, that we're not just having the conversation of its issues. We're still kind of, let's put it in this lane. Let me put this in this lane. Um, do you foresee, and I guess I'm, I'm, I'm asking as your editor, the crystal ball, a shift in the next five years or are we still kind of, and I'm with you, I, you know, I, I still kind of try to pick up as much as I can and I'm looking at different outlets, but it's still those special days for women issues. When are we going to get beyond that? Wow, you were great at asking really hard questions. <laughs> Um, I, I would like to say we will eventually get beyond it, but I honestly don't see it changing until we all recognize we're all people and all of these issues are important to all of us. You know, um, we're not there. We are not there. And I, I don't know that we'll get there anytime soon. All right. Uh, that doesn't stop with the struggle, yes. but it, it's, we're not there. Okay, so let me ask if this plays into it. I've noticed with the digital age, it's more sound bites yeah. versus, and I'm not sure if I'm using the correct term, I'm going to ask you to clarify it um, because you come with that knowledge base. Is it just the lack of, 
especially when I'm assigning something to the students, they will have read maybe a few lines and they're like, well, I read it. And I'm just like, no, you just read <laughs> a soundbite because oh. I'm coming from, and, and I'm dating myself, I'm coming from the newspaper. I'm like, okay, this is the article. <laughs> you And they're like, no, nah, I read it on my phone. I was like, no, there's no way you read that on your phone. What I read on, you know, um, is it that we're training them to kind of, hey, you're going to hear a soundbite? And are we doing that generation, especially the generation coming up now, a disservice from that print to the digital? I think we are in some ways. I will I will, I will, will uh, qualify that by saying even 30 years ago, though, we had studies that showed us that people who read the newspaper regularly really only read the headlines in the first graph or two. They didn't actually read the articles all the way to the end. So that sort of short attention span thing we're talking about there, that's not a new thing. Interesting. Okay. All right. Is this, this, but the platforms that we have now for the quick news uh, sort of highlight that and exacerbate it. And they don't, they lead people to the conclusion they've got all the news they need. They don't need to go into any more detail. Um, And that's, that's a problem. (laughs) Just in just in general, but it's not a new thing. People have always had short attention spans. Interesting. Okay, so let me ask you this in relationship to because I know you teach at at the university level. So when you're training someone in the field, what is their platform of training? (laughs) That's such a great question, especially right now. I've kind of overhauled our media writing fundamentals class, which is the class that everybody takes. Right try to reflect the wide variety of platforms they're going to have to be prepared to teach to teach and survive that would you know yeah to make money that would be the other thing especially if i had a child and they're like hey i'm this is my major i'm like okay so how are you making money again <laughs> well right professional journalists we we're still needed um, oh, most definitely so many complicated issues that need someone to be able to dig in, find the information and then bring it back to 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 someone with, OK, so here's how this actually works. Here's how this is going to work. And yet um, we've got staff newsrooms that are the, the, the numbers of reporters are just declining because they can't afford to hire folks. And so there's more people who are going to end up freelancing if you're looking at journalism than actually working in staff positions the way that it's looking at the moment. Maybe that'll change. Maybe digital newsrooms will do something different. But what I do now um, is we start with traditional old school print journalism. And here's here's how you craft a story. And here's how you figure out what your audience needs to know from this and make sure they get that information as early as they you you can put it in that story. Then let's take that and build on it. Okay, so here's how you'd write that for TV. Here's how you write that for radio. Here's how you'd write that for an online space. Here's how you'd write the tweet or X or whatever it is now. Um, Here's how you do that and and break it down into those bites. And it's interesting because, you know, the first story is long. The last one's, you know, 240 characters. Yes. And you get a really clear idea of how much you have to winnow down information to hit some of these platforms as you get uh, going on with a particular story. But that's that's what I do now. Um, and, and students will find that they gravitate to one particular style of storytelling versus another, mostly over the course of the term. It's rare that I'll have someone who's like on board with everything all at once. Um, 
But I do think it's important that professionals know how each of these things works and knows how to write for it or produce for it. So how does that, once I layer on the women and justice, how does that play out if I'm a female versus their male counterpart? I mean, in the classroom, it, there isn't there isn't a difference in the way that I approach it um, in that respect. But when you get out of the classroom, yeah, in the marketplace, that's uh, is it? And and again, I don't want people to walk away to feel like I'm stratifying it, but I am trying to get a sense of how gender gender plays into it, and whether or not the to me the environment is inclusive would be my next. Um, thought. You know, I would like to hope that newsrooms today are more inclusive than they were, but the statistics don't bear that out. Um, and I know I was really fortunate when I was a young reporter to have such support um, in the newsroom and other people who, who, who validated my interests in in, in certain stories. Um, but I will say that journalism itself always puts me in kind of a masculine headspace. It's very much a masculine kind of culture, or it was when I was part of it. And I'd like to think it's changed. I don't think it's changed all that much. There's a lot of emphasis on, uh, oh, how do I want to put this? News values and news judgments tend to be oriented towards towards news that is hard i mean we I mean, it's called hard news for a reason um and i'm not saying women can't do hard news we do okay but that tends to take with it an edge of there's an old phrase if it bleeds it leads this this sort of there's this sort of hard edge to news that really requires us all to have a very thick skin, to have a very tough kind of a demeanor. I think about Lois Lane a little bit. <laughs> I think about this sort of archetype where she trotting all over everywhere, getting rescued by Superman. We're going to ignore that part a little bit. But she was out investigating these stories and she had to be tough as nails to do that. Um, and And there's it's it's a it's a it's a type for a reason it's because that is kind of a requirement of being in some of those hard newsrooms is that for everybody i don't know i i struggled with it a little bit and does the hard exist within the realm of stereotypes in the sense that and i'm not just saying your discipline i would argue uh across campus in the sense of whether or not when we say hard, we're kind of embedding it in stereotypes to say that empathy or looking at a different lens or including another voice makes you soft. Yes, that you're putting your finger on what I was trying to say there, because, you know, there, there, the, there is no empathy in a newsroom. There's very little. Um, and part of that is because of the detachment necessary to cover certain things. I think that's something that's understudied. Uh, but journalists are, you know, side by side in the trenches with our first responders often are side by side and embedded in in military campaigns. But they're 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 right there with everybody doing that tough stuff. 
And in order to report on it accurately, you have to detach. And that can make it seem very cold. Um, and that that makes it challenging, I think, personally. And I don't know if I want to call it um, a women's issue specifically, but I will say that that's one of the things I found most challenging about it. Let me ask you this, and um, I'm going to open this the this box just a little bit, uh, not trying to go into the political too much, but I think that it's overpowering um, journalism to the point that sometimes when I'm clicking in the morning or I'm reading, um, there's like this political swath over everything. So I question whether or not the person disseminating the news is giving me the truth, regardless of what channel I'm on or what outlet I'm looking at, because I, I do look at a variety, everybody, so don't email me. Um, <laughs> or are they giving us the lens that they've been told to kind of keep the machine going? You know, that is a great question. Um, Which is different than what you presented to me earlier, because you're kind of like, hey, you're going in. This is the situation. This is how I'm presenting it and how. And, and I think we do that as academic, too, um, especially when we're first a few chapters of the book. No, this is this is the history of the topic. I'm not giving my spin on it. This is so we all. So when you go to the critical thinking, you can make an informed decision. Yeah. Well, and, and journalists are taught and it depends on which generation you come from. That's something to, to keep in mind, too. But they okay. are taught to detach and to use very specific lenses um, of the, the it used to be objectivity. It yes. probably is for a lot of folks. Right, 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 right. I've I've kind of come away from that because I want to recognize that everybody comes from their own perspectives. They cannot physically lose you know, even even your choice of stories to cover reflects your personal background and experiences as much as it reflects your corporate culture, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, so I want to say that objectivity is not achievable. Balance is achievable. Justice is achievable if we work for it. Um, but it's, you know, objectivity is not something uh, I think is actually an achievable goal. And someone's going to email now and say, what? <laughs> <laughs> That's OK. You can email me. You can email me. Don't you? <laughs> um, it's that it is a standard that we were taught um, to to try to, you know, put in there. And that meant putting that veil of of distance between you and the story. Right. And I mean, it, and it serves, you know, it serves two purposes. One is to to try to keep that balance as much as you can, I suppose. But the other part of that is to detach the reporter from the story. Yeah, because the thought is if you're presenting the material, then I can figure out, hey, where I stand based upon. But I wonder if we're shifting, especially within all our realms, not just your, I'm including my discipline too, um, shifting the lens that we're just trying to reinforce kind of the machine. I kind of hope so. I mean, I really hope so. I hope we're shifting because... I think if we recognize that it's impossible for us to divorce ourselves from what we're covering, from the stories that we're telling, that we are just by our very nature, part of the story, just by being there, we're there. If we, if we honestly acknowledge that, then our storytelling becomes more rich for one. Um, and we can engage in empathetic storytelling. We can say, Hey, I was here and this is what I saw. And I found this really heartbreaking 
but you tell me what you think. And here's, and here's my story. I think that's okay. But I know a lot of journalists were not trained to do that. Okay. All right, everybody, before she goes, I got to shift her one more time before (laughs) we get out of here. Okay. So I'm going to ask you to talk a little bit about your international because she's an international expert. So I'm going to ask her to talk a little bit about her work in that context. But just give us a little peek because I know you can't go fully into your research and what you've done. um, But I did want to open that that box just a little bit. (laughs) Yeah, I'm I'm um, fairly well known in some circles for my my well known everybody. She's underplaying. (laughs) It's a Midwestern thing. Sorry. Um, Rose Wilder Lane um, is the person who, a historical person that I have written most extensively about and for whom I'm most well known. Rose is the daughter of Laura Ingalls Wilder, who is the author of Little House series of books for children. Um, and also the subject of Little House on the Prairie, the television show, which is how that door opened, to be honest, uh, because there are so many fans of that show around the world that anytime a new piece of anything pops into that realm, everybody's all over it. And I wrote a book that was a collection of Rose's early journalism that I argue uh really represents literary journalism. It is the kind of storytelling that isn't detached. She's an empathetic storyteller and she's really good at it with um, thick description and dialogue and catchiness. It's really good stuff. Um, And I stumbled across it uh, while I was researching my dissertation actually at the University of Minnesota, which is about farm women's media in the 20th century. And my window into that was actually Laura Ingalls Wilder's columns that she wrote for the Farm Press between 1911 and 1926 before she started writing the Little House books. And I was going through um, some magazines and I came across some of Rose's work and I was just stunned. I had never seen it anywhere before. Um, And I confess to being what we call a bonnet head in fandom terms, okay? (laughs) And I just thought, You're gonna have to define that term. (laughs) because <laughs> i'll get that email i'll definitely get that email <laughs> a bonnet head is someone who is a super fan of little house on the prairie okay. and laura we're good i knew but i need to make sure eliminate that volume thank you thank you you're welcome um and so i i don't even know how i did it now <laughs> but while i was researching my dissertation i also was working on this book um, I pulled, I found as many of these pieces as I could by Rose. Um, I got secured copyright permission from the Little House Heritage Trust to republish them. And I wrote a biography of Rose interspersed with these articles. Um, and that came out in 2007. It's called The Rediscovered Writings of Rose Wilder Lane, Literary Journalist. And it just came out in paperback a couple years ago as well. Um, and that sort of opened that door uh, to phone calls and um, asks for presentations. And I helped found the Laura Ingalls Wilder Literary and Research Association, which you can find L-I-W-L-R-A, I think I said that right. That's, uh, I'm, I've been very busy and I'm not affiliated with it anymore, but it's still a fantastic organization uh, to, to, to create uh, conferences, to bring scholars and fans together to, to discuss these things. Um, and, and that's led to, uh, some of that other stuff, getting phone calls from the BBC to comment about Laura when new things happen is kind of a 
fascinating thing to to engage in. But yeah, that's that's that work. And Rose is a fascinating character, and she was um, she's considered by many to be one of the grandmothers of the Libertarian Party, mm-hmm. which she's uh, she's certainly got her opinions. <laughs> Especially um, during that time period, I noticed as I was looking you up, I was just like, wow, um, to be exposed to people writing who are kind of on the edge where you're just like, yeah. oh, they took a lot of flack during that. <laughs> they sure did. I mean, this this is a woman writing in the 30s against the New Deal. This is this is this is a woman um, writing in the 50s calling the FBI the Gestapo. Uh, this is she. She was really um, she was she was out there, uh, and yet she's also on some level revered by some folks. Um, and and it's partly because of her particular political orientation that freedom for Americans means freedom from government authority and freedom from government interference in the everyday lives of of Americans. And yes, that does include no social security. We don't need that no taxes we don't need that it's 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 very out there kind of work especially as she got older she just kind of dug in and got stubborn with it um in her political ideology as she got older you can see kind of early on and as i said i could talk about this for hours so you will have to cut me yeah it's okay (laughs) you can see very early on in her career that she's sort of feeling her way politically um, you know, she she had um, an aunt, Eliza Jane Wilder Thayer, who is known to people who watch the show as Eliza Jane, the teacher. But she was very politically active and socialist. Um, and she stayed with her aunt um, her senior year, what, what uh, we would consider a senior year in high school. She actually uh, left their farm in the Ozarks to live with Eliza Jane in New Orleans so she could finish a high school education. Um, but you can see her sort of starting to think about politics and what it means to be a political person and what what things should be like from her perspective. You can see her working that out through a lot of her writing um, in that that early 20th century. And by the 50s, she's entrenched. Um, And she wrote uh, several essays about um, that particular ideology, including the discovery of freedom which has been used um, as a textbook in some libertarian places, actually, uh, as things to think about. What does it mean to have government control or what does it mean to be free from government authority? What does freedom mean? It's fascinating stuff. It is. And I I love the way that um, and one of the reasons I was so excited for you to come is just to I think it's powerful to meet people who are showcasing works that we normally wouldn't look at or just haven't had that exposure to. Um, so I'm, I'm just impressed with that aspect of your work. But unfortunately, and again, I will have her back. Uh, we are close to time, but I always like to give the guests just a moment to say, if we heard nothing else, what do you want us to take away with the, um, from the session? And you've given us a lot. Let me say that right in the beginning. <laughs> well, you know, I it, just thinking about your particular topic and thinking about how it relates to media, I, I want to say that social justice starts with finding your voice. That's where it starts. Um, and that's what I've certainly tried to do both as a teacher and as a journalist. Okay. I, I, 
I know everyone's going to be like, you said that was the last question. Okay. So yeah. in finding your voice, I guess I got another question. Finding your voice. Is that a privilege given to some? I think it is. So and then I how do it... we break that then? <sighs> and now I, I had to layer it, but you opened the door technically. <laughs> I did open the door and I've, I, do, I do a lot of thinking about this topic because the first thing is access to the tools you need access to the the resources you need um and and that that's where it starts we need to to more firmly address the digital divide. we need to be in k-12 helping people find their voices and expressing themselves we have to say it's not just about writing it's not just about writing if you cannot write a complete sentence well in proper oxford english so what get your microphone Let's get your voice. Let's find it. Let's get it out there because it's important. All right, everyone. We are at time, unfortunately, but I want to thank our guests for kind of giving us a little splash in the various areas. Um, and I will have her back. So thank you. You're welcome. It was great to talk with you. As we close out this episode, I took two distinctive paths. The first one was to talk about just mass media and communication and where women stand. The second had us pause within the speaker's international realm. Both, however, I think highlight the fact of the presence of women and the impact that they've had in this medium. I encourage you to look up the speaker's work and find out more. As always, have a great day.